0: She wanted all these different things, but she wanted them from her mom. And the fact that I was not her mom and the rage and anger kept building in this small child, it took me to a point of brokenness that I never experienced
1: before. Welcome to The Dismantle, creating community, not converts. Hello, and welcome to The Dismantle, a show for community, not converts. I'm your host, Joey. Each week we attempt to dismantle an issue that poses as problematic for the church by having a dialogue with a guest or guests who have insight on that subject. Now, if you're new to the show, we won't always agree, but we won't argue because our goal is to gain understanding and perspective by sharing our views in a way that builds bridges, but not barriers. Our guests today are Doug and Mandy Chapman. Doug and Mandy are husband and wife and parents of seven. Doug is a chaplain candidate in the National Guard and a minister with church and youth. Mandy is a cosmetologist, orphan advocate, and regional manager of Care Portal in Pennsylvania. Doug and Mandy, welcome to The Dismantle.
2: Thanks for having us.
1: Thanks, sir. We are excited that you're on. Before we dive into our topic today, which I'm really excited to dive into, how did you both get introduced to church and to faith? What's some of your background with spiritual stuff?
2: So I was introduced to church as an infant. I think I was probably a couple days old when I started going to church. Uh, I was raised in a very conservative uh, church and I'm thankful for that upbringing because it really taught me the Word of God and, and hiding God's Word in our heart. You know, I was at church at least three times a week and I'm thankful for that. When I got older, you know, you have to wrestle with your faith a little bit, but I was raised in a Christian home. My parents took us all the time, and I'm thankful for that. That was a great upbringing, and it kind of gave me a great foundation as I got older. Uh, I did br- branch out a little bit and came to more of a Pentecostal church, which I now feel personal. It's more my personality, it's more of who I see Jesus is and more lines up with what I read the Bible to be. So that is where my faith and my background goes, but I love the church as a whole. I think it's diverse and awesome, and I love attending different denominational churches and seeing how they worship, and it's just really neat.
0: Likewise, I grew up in the church. My dad was a third-generation pastor, And so I didn't know anything different. And it's kind of embarrassing because my parents did a fantastic job balancing ministry and church and family. But in spite of those efforts, the summer of my junior year, I was a very angry, very lost, very confused young man. And. I was riding the coattails of everybody else's faith up to that point. It wasn't real. It wasn't mine. I could talk Bible. I could talk Jesus, all that kind of stuff. But it was just a concept. It wasn't anything that was personal. And in a fit of anger, one summer afternoon, I lashed out at pretty much everything, including God. And the fact that he did not strike me down dead in that moment literally messed with me. And it caused me to pursue what I intellectually knew on an emotional level. And that's kind of even though my parents said when I was five years old, I stood up on the front pew and I raised my hand and all that kind of stuff. That's kind of when for me, my faith became genuine and personal to me. And so in one regard, I grew up knowing it, but then it wasn't something that was mine until that summer of my junior year. And it's been a pursuit of my life to try and be obedient to Christ ever since.
1: Hmm. That's awesome, and thank you both for sharing that. So, today on The Dismantle, we're talking about foster care. Psalm 68.5 says that God, in his holy place, is a father to the fatherless and a protector of widows. Uh, and we also have that verse sort of echoed in the book of James, where he says religion that is pure and holy to God is taking care of the orphans and widows. It's not an easy decision to step into, uh, but I think it's something that really needs some more clarification, especially when it comes to the church. Uh, so Doug, Mandy, can you guys recall the first experience that you ever had hearing about the process of foster care, adoption, all of that?
0: Going way back, uh, I had relatives that were having to foster and adoption care, But I didn't know it consciously as a kid growing up because it was so smooth and they did such a good job integrating those children in the family. I just thought they were part of my normal life. It wasn't until Mandy and I got together that for us, that conversation became very personal because of how great adoption had impacted her life. And that put us on this conversation as we knew we were going to get married and kids and what do we do with it? And so it's, it's been a natural part of our entire marriage, not an easy part, but a natural part. And I kind of have part B of it, but she has part A. So I'll let her to get to that piece and then I'll come back to mine.
2: Yeah. So you asked uh, how church and faith kind of started out and I can kind of go back to that a little bit. When I was 19 years old, I was in beauty school in Philadelphia and I was really struggling with who I was to Jesus and who Jesus was to me. And that year I was definitely running away from God, but he was pursuing me like crazy. And I sat in the back pew of this church that I was attending and they were doing an orphan Sunday. I'd never heard of that before. Didn't even know what that was, but they were showcasing, different families within the church who had adopted, and they were sharing what organizations they worked through and what countries they had adopted from, just sharing their stories. And there was this little girl who was adopted from China. Her name was Maya, and I would watch her Bible study every once in a while. And she didn't go to anybody, but she went to me. And so she changed my life forever, obviously. And I remember sitting in the back pew that Sunday morning And I don't remember anything else about that service, but I remember consciously thinking, you're gonna do that someday. And it blew my mind because like I said, I was not really close to God. I had never that I could recall heard the Holy Spirit speak to me. And I was like, wow, that was such a weird thought because I had plans to be single, for my whole life. I had plans to be the really cool rich aunt, you know, all those things. And that was not anything that I could have ever thought that I would ever want in my life. And so the Lord in that moment started working on me. And then when I met Doug, he kind of broke down my barrier of keeping men far away and keeping marriage off the radar. And then all of a sudden he reminded me of him saying, you're going to adopt someday and so it was it was such a process from 19 all the way till we got married and that was always on the radar when we were dating what is our family going to look like and I said we are going to adopt so I knew that if he was out then I was out. <laughs> but he's like yeah that sounds great and I said I you know I want to adopt overseas and he said to me that's fine mm-hmm. but we're going to adopt from the States too. He said, because there's enough kids here in the U.S. that need families too. We don't have to go outside. So that really, it made me kind of stop because I was like, wait, that's not my plan. But clearly my plan was not God's plan anyway. So um, it was just neat because he helped kind of focus God's vision for us and worked us together in that where You know, I had this call from the Holy Spirit saying, You're going to do that. And then Doug's like, Listen, we need to make sure that we're taking care of our kids in the U.S., too, not just overseas. So that was a wild ride when we were trying to figure that out. He was a youth pastor, I was doing hair. We had a surprise child that we were (laughs) not expecting. So we're like, Okay, we'll just start our family. But fostering and adoption is overwhelming when you have endless options, and only a call to do it. So when we were praying about it and thinking about it, we're like, we could do private adoption, we could go domestic, we could go international. There is this foster care thing, but we'd get too attached. I mean, we went back and forth of what we should do. And again, God's hand was totally on it. We sat by a couple at a Christmas party and they were telling us about how they had adopted their kids through foster care. And they just took the time to answer our questions, talk about options with us. And pretty much right away, we knew we were supposed to do foster care and adopt through foster care. So that was... Just how the Lord worked that out and and pointed us in a direction really lined us up with people who were able to help us make decisions and focus us instead of just, oh gosh, it would be great to adopt, but I have no idea where to even start. It is very overwhelming. And so that was really great to just have people to ask questions to.
1: Now I want to go back to something that you had mentioned that Doug had said that he felt that you guys should adopt here in the U.S. before you went overseas. Doug, do you find that that's not a common thing where people just kind of want to adopt from a quote-unquote foreign country?
0: I don't know if it's common. Uh, I remember growing up it being very popular. And I, I want to be cautious because... I don't want to devalue the families that have gone overseas to rescue children. It's just for me growing up in the church and the perspective I had, and I was exposed to the wealth of the church. I've seen a lot of great things. I've seen a lot of not good things. And One of my personal frustrations and almost a vice is when the church goes overseas to address and meet the needs of situation, a circumstance, a problem. And that very same thing exists in the community that they live in, the church functions in. And relative to foster care and adoption, uh, I heard an organization say, why do we fly over children to go rescue children? And so for me, that was kind of the motivation and it's interesting, we talk about it frequently, we haven't adopted internationally yet. And it's not because it's, it's a desire, it's just we're trying to be obedient with what's in front of us right now, and the way God seemed to have orchestrated it was to work on this local level as foster parents first. And so it, it's a struggle of mine because this need exists in the community and it does exist internationally. And so there was all this effort and energy that the church was putting forth to do international adoptions. And it was like there's kids crying who need homes, who there's families that are broken, families in a crisis just down the street from these same churches. Let's not don't stop the international piece, but let's fire up the local piece, because that's where we live. That's the communities that we're in. And at the risk of being insensitive there's kind of a glamour about foster care to an extent and adoption especially internationally. I mean once you get involved you know it's not the truth um, but it, the church sometimes gets caught up in things that look really good I think, you know, us as humans, it's kind of a human nature to do that, Uh, especially the American church. Oh, if it looks good and it kind of feels good and it puts on a good front, then uh, we're we're actually doing something. Um, The hard part about local foster care and adoption is it's in your own backyard. And in a way, it's kind of like staring at those ugly parts that you don't like of yourself in the mirror because it's not thousands of miles away. We're talking about families and children in crisis just down the street that we could see at the gas station at the grocery store. And so that's kind of my feelings on the matter, um, which I just want to be very cautious when I express those things because it can sound very negative, but it's just it's that thing that in many ways keeps me up at night that keeps me motivated and saying, what is my life really about and how do I not just become aware of it? How do I do something tangibly to make a difference? Because this is what Jesus ultimately has asked us to do and this is what for us obedience looks like.
1: Now, like we mentioned, it's not an easy decision to step into to foster and to ultimately adopt children that you haven't biologically carried that don't share your DNA. Now, can you talk to me a little bit about that process? What was it like beginning that? What was it like stepping into that?
2: Uh, It was exciting. Uh, That was the number one thing that I felt because when we started the process, we had a vision of growing our family. We had already had a biological son. He was uh, about 12 months old, 15 months old when we started the process and- our my i'll just speak for me my whole mentality was growing our family we knew god had asked us to go locally we knew that that's where our kids were so i was just more excited and it was instantly met with heartache when our first little girl who she is now our adopted daughter Um, She's our daughter. She is nine now, but when she first came to us, she only was with us for a month and a half. So I had this brand new baby. She was so beautiful. We were so in love. And she, after a month and a half, went to live with a biological family. And it was just instant heartache, instant. It felt like a death. And Doug and I have said many times, the little girl that came back to us at six months old was not the little girl that that left us you know she had totally changed she was just a different child but she was still ours you know and so i was so excited and then a lot of reality hit uh the second little girl that we had taught me so much about myself that i did not want to know was there she had been through such horrific trauma that i was not prepared for she was only 15 months old when we had her. And I have never experienced anything like that. You know, I grew up in an amazing home. I didn't understand trauma. I had no idea what to do. She had eating issues. Um, She would throw tantrums. She just things that I was not prepared for. You know, we had such an amazing, well-behaved, very safe, very secure one and a half year old in our home. And, and To have a two and a half year old, our son was about two and a half then. Uh, And then we had this child in our home that she just brought everything out of me that I did not want to be there. I was so angry and confused and trying to help her, but I didn't know how. So that ultimately led me to my breaking point, one of them, where I was just sobbing next to her crib. And I had my computer open and and somebody just popped up on my Facebook message. And it was a friend of ours. And she's like, how are things going? And I'm just, I'm ugly crying. You know, there's snot pouring out of my, I just didn't know what to do. And she just poured into me and said, you know, go research this, go check this out, go check out this site. And I just started feeding my mind with all of this information so I could help this child. And we have always said, you know, we're going to love these children for as long as they're in our home. Hopefully it's forever, but we want them to leave our home, if they do leave, better than when they came in. And so when she was there and I felt helpless and confused and and frustrated, to finally be able to have knowledge and understanding of what she was going through and actually have tools to help her, it was life-changing. And so, um, you know, these, these kids, it's not just about building your family, which I thought it was when we started this. It was so much more. Like we get, you get into the pits with them. You get into the ugly with them. And usually it ends up showing some ugly in you that you didn't know was there. Pride was a huge problem for me where I, I loved showing up at church on Sunday with a new baby and people saying to me, Oh, I could never do that. Somehow it, like a sick part of me was like, Oh, I like that. I I do like that. And it was so, you know, the, the Holy spirit had to show me like, wow, I'm really working that out of you. And I realized that foster care as a whole has been a refining fire for me and it still is. You know, there's still a lot of ugly in me. But these kids, you know, they they're so they can be so hurt and come from such dark places and we get to offer them hope. We get to say, you know, Jesus walked with me when I was in an ugly place. He didn't abandon me. He didn't leave me. And he's showing me that he can help me out of this and we can walk this life together. And so, you know, that's what I say to the church. Jesus did that for you. You did ugly things. You did awful things. Things were done to you, but he didn't abandon you and say you weren't worth it. He got right in there with you and said, I'm here. I want to help. I'm I'm the father to you that you never had, I am the friend that you never had, whatever. That's what Jesus did. And so ultimately, that's what we want to do for kids and have the eyes of the church be open to say, you can do something. It might not be fostering, it might not be adopting, but you can do something.
0: On my end, one of the biggest inhibitors to getting involved in foster care and adoption is fear. Uh, Fear is incredible. It's an incredible motivator. It's also incredible demotivator. And a lot of times people just don't understand the wealth of opportunities there are within foster care. For us, being a foster home is where we decided was gonna be our involvement. And once we got into it from a systematic standpoint, there's home studies, there's some um, requirements, there's a checklist that you need a whole lot of patients for. It doesn't move nearly as fast as you want it to, And then especially when you're waiting for a placement, one of the challenges in the process is, as Mandy said, we were going to think, oh, hey, we're gonna foster to adopt and all that stuff. And in Pennsylvania, everything is county-based. There is no foster to adopt program. You are a foster parent first and foremost. And we've had to learn that as a foster parent, our role is to b- provide safety and stability for these children to be part of the reunification process, which in many ways can be very challenging because the reality is these kids, best case scenario, are going to leave our home. And as hard as we try, I mean, I've tried as a dad, I was, I'm not going to, you know, love these kids with everything I got. I'm going to hold back a little bit because that's impossible. The second they get in your home and you see this this child in front of you, that's why Mandy said we've developed a mentality that we're going to love them as long as they're in our home. We're not promised tomorrow with our one biological son. So while we hold back our very best from any adopted or foster child. And so it was challenging as a foster parent because our goal is to keep families together. And sometimes my mind goes there. And it's kind of a dark place that if I let it, my family represents four broken families as awesome. And as amazing as my family is, it exists because there are four families that for various reasons are broken and shattered and not functioning in a place of health and wholeness. And so my role as a foster parent is to be a part of that health and that wholeness. And it's, Once that fear, kind of you can get past that fear and you can identify where exactly you want to be involved, the process gets a little bit easier, but the process is still lengthy and it still requires strength and patience. It's gotten to the point where, because I'm very much a realist and I'm like, hey, here are the good things, here are the bad things, I've kind of qualified it as being a parent is one of the hardest things I've ever had to do in my life. And and when being a foster and adoptive parent just amplifies that, but it's also one of the most rewarding things I've ever done too. And I've seen the best and I've seen the worst of the foster care system locally. And I would do it all over for every kid without hesitation, because I find as Mandy says, you kind of see some of that ugly. I'm also changed and I am better as a human, as a person, as a father, as a husband, as a Christian, however you want to say that, because these kids have, I haven't rescued them from anything. I have participated in their life. They have welcomed me into their journey, and I have learned so much by being in the trenches with them and all that they bring into our home because kind of the misconceptions of, hey, gonna rescue children and I'm gonna save them and it's gonna be great. And then like Mandy said, you have those moments which I think many foster parents do, where you're at a breaking point where you don't know what to do, nothing is working, and you are just overwhelmed. And it's amazing that there's so many resources out there now that you can learn from and grow from in the support network. But the fear part, that is that is always there and it's it's powerful, but thankfully, you know, we try and focus on truth and so let fear kind of go away in the light of truth. And I'll say it again, it's one of the hardest things I've ever done, but it by far is the most rewarding thing I've ever done. And I would willingly walk through all of it, the good and the bad, knowing everything I know now um, because of just how amazing the whole thing is.
1: Now the foster care system is just that it's a system. Can you talk to me a little bit about some of your experience with the system? Maybe something that people don't understand and some of the process that children experience within the foster care
2: system. There's a lot of places we could go with this. Uh,
0: I'll jump really quick. One of the big things is, is there's humanity woven through the entire system. Uh, the caseworkers are human. The judges are human. The biological families are human. The children are human. And the reality is this situation exists because there's brokenness, because there's hurt, because there's 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 an absence of health and wholeness. Often caseworkers are villainized. Uh, they are looked at like they are baby stealers and that, and there are imperfect caseworkers. You're gonna find imperfect people everywhere. Um, And some of the stories and stereotypes exist because there is a level of truth to them. And some of those are valid, but at the day's end, the majority of caseworkers are trying to do the best they can they're often overwhelmed. They're understaffed. The judges are working with the just the small window of information that they have, trying to make the best decision for these families and children. the The foster the, the big thing for me that I try and champion is that there is humanity is woven through this whole entire process, and it's easy to try and pick and part, pick apart what's going on, or think because we you know saw a news article or we did a quick google search or we knew somebody's aunt who had that we we have the ability to understand what's going on and the foster care system is unique enough that you really have to be in the trenches to fully understand what's going on you can educate yourself and learn which we encourage many new foster parents to do because of just how shocking it can be sometimes in terms of missed expectations, but it's there's a humanity to all of it, um, and it's hard, and it exists because things are broken, and there's a lack of health and wholeness, and at the end of the day, we're talking about people, and not just a system, or just not these personifications that you might hear on the news or because someone's frustrated with a caseworker or had a bad experience they're all painted with this big broad brush they're they're humans and they're people they're hurting they're worthy of respect they're worthy of my best in trying to do everything I can to promote that health and wholeness so that best case scenario that biological family, if it's healthy and whole and safe, can be reunited and brought back together.
2: Yeah, I can probably throw out just a little bit more, I guess, personal. There's been so many life-changing experiences through this. One of them being, I I watched a caseworker who did not want to remove a child from our home and put it with a biological family that they ended up leaving the room because they were crying too. We were a mess. She was a mess. She ended up leaving the room because she was crying. And I saw her humanity and the fact that she was doing her job, but didn't agree with it, but had to do it. I've seen I've seen biological parents just desperate for somebody to show them love and respect while their child is in a meeting room with them. They're trying to engage them. They're being essentially mocked outside of the room by security guards and caseworkers. You know, I had a moment where I was so frustrated with one of our biological moms and I was kind of yelling at God, kind of like, well, you know, how did this happen? why did she take drugs messing up these kids and you know can't she open her eyes and see how how worth it they are and can't she just get herself together and it just frustrated me so much and i had this moment where i heard the lord say if it wasn't for the family you were raised in you could be just like her and so it really to remember that there are humans behind the whole situation, we like to say, oh, child welfare this, you know, because we can we can group them as a whole and cut them down, but we forget that there are individuals in there and that each of them require respect, you know, and likewise, it's often the child that I found within foster care that is the one that's... Le- least paid attention to i guess you could say or the one that's not recognized enough for what they're going through uh it's they are often sometimes looked at as more of like a pawn you know are they going to go back to their biological family are they going to go to another foster family are they going to go to uh this this family member outside of the home and they get moved and moved and moved and moved and moved. And and yet we forget sometimes that they're a person and that a lot of us have experienced a lot of trauma growing up and we were never removed from our home. You know, divorce, you know, you watch a, a sibling be hurt or even your home goes up in flames, car accidents, any of those things can be childhood trauma And you never left the safety and security of your family, but these kids get a garbage bag half the time with all of their belongings in it. And they go to a new home with new rules, new bedroom, new blanket. They have to start a new school, all of those things. And it's very overwhelming. And so we forget sometimes that that foster kid is a kid, you know, they're, they just want to be normal. They want to be loved. They want to be safe. So we often forget how important each person is in the whole scene. It's not just one person saying, you know, I'm the one that's the better of all of this, or I'm the one that is going to show them how it really should be. It's, there's so many individuals wrapping around this child, all playing a distinct role. And we have to remember the humanity in it.
0: You asked about the process that, that children go through. And that's one of those things that you hear in the training and you think you understand, but it doesn't really hit you until you see that child face-to-face in your home and the perception you have of foster care quickly erodes because it's not this amazing picture and, and roses and everything. I remember distinctly a couple of years ago, we had a respite placement, which was a short term. My wife was away. And so I was flying solo, which I'm kind of that dad that's willing to do that, even though I get weird looks sometimes when all my kids are out with me in the store. But we sometimes wear these masks or have capes on. So I guess that's why people look at me weird. Um, I'm, t- I'm, I'm kind of the fun parent, I guess. And and I had this this girl with me and she kept It was late at night. She was having trouble sleeping because this was a foreign place, foreign home. And she kept expressing needs. She was hungry. She was uh, thirsty. She wanted a blanket. She wanted all these different things that I could supply for her. But she wanted them from her mom. And the fact that I was not her mom even though I was able to care and provide for the needs that she had, I wasn't her mom. And the rage and anger kept building in this small child. It took me to a point of brokenness that I never experienced before. That one of the things that it's so hard to understand is that while these kids are small, they're in your home because there's a reason why they were moved, whether we would think it's valid or not valid. The courts do see and why children youth does. And there's trauma that they've brought with them. There's experience there. There's uncertainty. There's fear. They don't understand if they're too young. And I, the hard thing to understand is how much that we become a part of their experience and their process in the level of trauma because, in many regards, even though we see ourselves as a rescuer, if you will, we see ourselves as one providing, they see us as the enemy. We're on to from their vantage point, we're the people that took him away from mom and dad, took him away from stability, took him away from the familiar, took him away from the home. We're part of stuff that they don't understand what have they done wrong why have i been removed why am i with this stranger and so that trauma piece that the child it's so hard to understand especially when they can't articulate it like i didn't know what else to do for this this young little girl i could give her everything she wanted but i wasn't mom so it wasn't good enough and basically i wound up just holding her because she let me do that I held her until she exhausted herself crying, and and finally went to sleep. And that's one of those kind of hard realities that, in a way, I don't like talking about because I think it would turn some people off to being engaged in foster care in terms of a home. Uh, but it's a reality that's very much there that we are participating in their trauma.
1: Yeah, and uh, you know, just full transparency, I'm I'm sort of tearing up over here just imagining being a child and and, you know when my my kids are two and two months so imagining them in that situation i mean it's 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 heartbreaking how someone would then throw the throw the uh, the response of i don't know if i could do that and it's almost as though i don't know if i can do that literally just takes the humanity out of the equation
2: yeah
0: well the good news is that regarding foster care and adoption there are so many avenues and ways that you can that an individual can help uh, assist children and family in crisis other than just being a re- Pennsylvania Luzerne County they're called resource home resource homes now they're we're not foster homes we're not i guess it's less of a stigma involved that that the foster home is just one small piece of a much bigger puzzle and there are so many ways to get involved but i also tell people that that's not an excuse if you feel like you're being called to be a foster home because for us we can't hide it our faith is the motivating factor to be in in all of this i have admiration for people who do this outside of faith they're just trying to be good people and invest for us christ is central to all of this and i say hey if i made a quote in a paper in an interview that I forgot uh, about a long time ago until it popped up on Facebook and people were like, Doug Chapman, that's you. And I'm like, I don't remember saying this. It's the idea if you have a heart to be a foster parent or adoptive parent, don't let fear stand in the way. Don't let fear stop you from being obedient and investing. But we also believe and recognize the high, high cost of being a foster parent and being an adoptive parent. And there needs to be some honest, no nonsense assessment of is this a real good fit? And I have incredible respect for people who not as a cop out, but an honest assessment of whether season of life or capability or ability or marriage that, you know, i count probably one of the biggest conversations we have is there is one spouse that is saying, I've got to do this, but my other, their partner, their spouse is like, I don't know, we encourage them don't to jump in because that's going to be death to that marriage you have got to have both partners on board and i have incredible respect for people who honestly assess and say hey this this resource home i it's i want to but that's not that is only going to put make my home unhealthy i respect them but then i'm then i'm like hey there are so many other ways you can be involved and we have contacts and numbers of of ways that you can still be involved in the lives of children and family in crisis but then i don't let all those options again repeating myself be an excuse for people who go hey i I think i want to do this but that fear piece is stronger than it should be um you have a heart for foster care don't let fear stand in the way but if in an honest assessment it's too much or it's just it's not good right now there are so many avenues that you can be involved in families and children in crisis beyond just that resource
1: or foster home now mandy are some of those resources connected to what you do with care
2: portal they are but they don't have to be uh there, there are so many ways, you know, even just a personal example, we got a little girl, our youngest, his biological sister, half biological sister. Uh, we didn't know the birth mom was pregnant, nothing. So out of nowhere, we got a phone call and said, Hey, we need to know by five o'clock today if you can take this little girl. And so we had nothing, (laughs) We thought we were done with kids. We thought we were out of diapers, yay. No, we weren't even close to out of diapers yet, but we thought we were getting close. (laughs) And we were I just put a Facebook post up saying, Hey, we're getting a little girl, we've got nothing. Anybody have any clothes or whatever we could we could use? And that the night we got her, people brought dinner. People brought babies are us gift cards, diapers, wipes, brand new outfits, blankets. Just it was multiple people, people that we barely knew, but they just did that because they saw that they could play a part. So you wrap around a foster family. Let me tell you, having a date night with your spouse when you have a lot of kids with trauma, it is life-changing. It is Refreshing. You get to talk about something other than your kids or talk over your kids. It's it's very refreshing for your marriage. So being a babysitter for foster families, making a meal for them, especially when they get a new child in the home, having a meal. I mean, you think of a family coming home from the hospital. The last thing you want to do is cook, you're trying to get settled, you're trying to make everybody feel comfortable, you're trying to get to know each other, get in a routine. That is the same thing when you come home with a brand new child that you're fostering. So making a meal for somebody. Those are just little ways that you could support a foster family, but on the prevention side of things, look around your churches and look at your single moms. Those are women who need support, even if they have good family support, wrap around them because they need support. Think of the fact that if you are married, you have the other spouse that when you come home and you've had a rough day, you can go, dude, I am off the clock tapping. Yeah. We're tag teaming. We're, We're I'm off the clock. You're on duty. Those single parents often don't get a reprieve. So when you think about it, you're kind of essentially, if you look at American society, who are our widows? Yes, there are actual widows in our community. But if you look at biblical times, a lot of times it was widows were w- women who just didn't have a man around. And so having eyes open to see that essentially like a, the widow and the orphan could be these single moms and their kids in our churches support them they might be struggling financially look at ways to support them because you know what if they are struggling financially one medical bill could essentially cause them to fall under extreme issues and they could they could lose their child you never know those are types of things that looking around your church you can find ways to support those single moms Thinking of families that have just gotten their children back, they may need a grandma. Step up. Be a mentor to that mom or that dad. Wrap around those families in your community who are struggling. They don't have to necessarily be affected by child welfare, but they're in every church. They are in every neighborhood. And then on the other side of things, there is the kids that are aging out that is a huge group of people. And I know Christina Meredith had touched on it also. Yeah. And it was so interesting because in her book, I did read it. Woohoo! It was awesome by the way. Um, she calls them the forgotten ones and I've called them that mm-hmm. for years, which I, I try to be very careful, but we forget that there are these kids graduating high school whose statistics say are going to be homeless. And it's so heartbreaking. They don't have trades. They don't have any idea where they're going to go for college. Half of them don't even know if they can apply to college because they don't have money to pay the enrollment fee. And so these kids are out in the real world who have had next to no guidance, been through trauma in their life, and they are desperate for support. Am I saying they, that they need a, a family. Yeah. And even if that means that they're coming over to your house for Christmas and Thanksgiving, and they have some place that if they're really struggling, they can call you. That's what we need. We need people who run businesses, painters, mechanics, uh, anything like that. Photographers, mentor, take a kid who's interested in that trade say hey you know what i'm not sure if you would really love to do this in life why don't you shadow me for a month and see if this is something that you actually want to do and then i'll help you with the application for college if we really just took a little bit more time to see the people in our community as people as made in the image of god instead of just something that's taking away my time It's, it's so heartbreaking, you know, I see these kids and I I just, I just met some really awesome kids that had aged out of the system. And they really were, were just so practical in the things that they needed. They said, you know, I wish somebody had told me how to balance a checkbook, how to budget, how to, how to fill out an application so I could find out what were my college options what ha- what colleges provide housing that doesn't close that was one of the issues with one of the girls i had talked to mm-hmm. she said they they actually manipulate the system at the college that she goes to because if they closed for the holidays she would not have anywhere to go oh. and so you know when you think about these some of these kids want to go to four year colleges or they want to go to They want to be doctors and lawyers but where are they going to go on their breaks being the church you could welcome a child in for christmas break and be a family for them am i telling you to adopt them no but i'm sure you have extra food on your table (laughs) i mean that's usually what it is you have an extra seat you could make an extra seat and you probably have a little bit of food left over that you could share with somebody And so those are the creative ways that all of us can do something, even if it's not fostering or adopting, teaching a child a trade that you already do for a living. Let them shadow you, even if it's not even paying them, but let them experience what they think they want so that they have an opportunity to either move forward with that or or not and just really get involved in their life.
1: I love your thoughts and your hearts on on this topic and and this idea about coming alongside and just being
2: literally the family of God. None of us are in this alone. If we're Christians, we're supposed to be a family. We are the children of God. And so that's what we're supposed to be to each other. And then we're supposed to welcome more people in. That's what we're supposed to do.
0: And what we found from the church and kind of, she hasn't talked about Care Portal yet because she's really good at it and she's kind of humble, which is also a good thing, is the church always seems to be willing to help and assist, but often they don't know where the need is necessarily coming from and how to best meet that need. And that's what Care Portal does on a very simplistic level, is it allows caseworkers to identify here's some of the needs that are either Families are at risk of going into the system. Or, here are some of the needs that, if met, can reunify families. Or, here's a need that can help a child aging out. And it takes that need and it connects it to churches. The congregation, the body, is made aware of that need, knows what the need is, how to meet it. And then there's a a natural connection between those meeting the needs and those who are benefiting from it on a very personal and human level. And we're seeing families stay out of the system because the church is beginning to meet the needs and not just throw money at a problem. They're beginning to get personally involved with their time, their effort, their energy, their means, because sometimes a family's in danger. Uh, just had a request come through. Uh, families live in a side by side and they have been inundated with bedbugs. And that's a real problem for him. Well, one of my good friends, who happens to go to church with, owns an extermination business. And he's able to come alongside as a business owner and a Christian to help out this family, to keep the family together, to keep them out of the system. There's the physical needs, there's the beds, and there's um, cleaning supplies, and there's the food needs, but sometimes the needs are very creative and the church seems to be willing to jump in and help on a very tangible level in a way it's all and, and there's one of the things i got to be careful it's almost people like okay we're aware now but we want to take the awareness one step further we want to get involved we want to actually do something but since the church sometimes is isolated like i said Mandy said I often repeat myself, and I guess I do, is that they don't know exactly where the need is coming from and how to meet it. And that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to bring church and county together because bigger and more beyond just the tangible and the physical, we had a county worker pay a very high compliment to the church when he said that they see from the county level, that when the church wraps around a family, it changes. And it's the change is more than just a physical change. There is an emotional change. There is a spiritual change that happens. There's a health and wholeness that comes into that family's life that the county isn't able to do because the county's role is different. The county's role is to be that safety and security piece. The church is to be the family to be the community piece. And in many regards in the United States, the church has abdicated that role, but there seems to be that pendulum is swinging back and the church saying, we're willing to take back this responsibility. It's almost like kind of a divorced couple are saying, hey, for the sake of the kids, we gotta come back and work together because the kids are what is important. The families is what is important. And so that's a lot of what we do is not just raise awareness, but connect those in crisis with those that can meet the needs and not have it be just throwing money at a problem. People are getting physically involved with their own lives, their own resources, their own hands and feet. And like you said, being the church in the community, being Jesus to these families.
1: Thanks so much for taking the time to be on the show. Where can people connect with you guys if they have any questions, want to follow up or, or just follow you guys online?
0: We're both on pretty much Instagram and Facebook. Um, I guess because we're old, all the young kids aren't using Facebook. Uh, my Instagram is Son of Thunder, but the O's are actually zero. And then my Facebook is P D O U G C P Doug C. That's my stuff.
2: I am on Instagram and Facebook also, and I am Pebbles eighty two on Instagram and facebook just mandy
1: chapman it's awesome and we'll make sure we list all of that within the show notes that way people can connect with you but guys thanks so much again for making the time to be on the show our pleasure thank you appreciate it and that wraps up this episode of the dismantle we'd love to hear your thoughts on the topic discussed today maybe your experience and ways that we can continue to create community visit the website at dismantlepod.com and until next time don't complain about the things you're not willing to change You've been listening to The Dismantle, creating community, not converts. Visit us at dismantlepod.com.